Go ahead and take your Bibles or your tablet or whatever and turn to the fifth book. It's called the book of Deuteronomy. All right, it, uh, Deuteronomy's idea of second law giving will be there in a few minutes. Before we jump there, we need to do one thing as a family. And this happens at all the campuses uh, all day to day. Uh, one of the values that we've talked about at numerous times is we don't just declare the gospel verbally, we demonstrate the gospel. That is, we visualize, we the want to be the demonstration community. The gospel is that, uh, you know, God loved us in such a way that he sent his son to live the life we should have lived and then died in our place. But then demonstrating the gospel is done a number of different ways. One of them is God's been generous with us. We want to be generous with other people. Uh, we've been blessed to be a blessing. A lot of different scriptures there from the Good Samaritan to Jesus' little brother of James saying, if you see somebody in need, uh, don't just give little platitudes to them, but actually, you know, go up and help them. And so, uh, and we, we try to make that fleshed out through Survey 28 and through many Western North Carolina partners and Compassion International, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, today, in a small way, I, I know... Uh, or, you know, the, the fact that we know the, the, fur, the, uh, the shutdown is over, but we also know there's been about 400,000 or so federal employees that have gone without a paycheck for over a month. Uh, we don't know how many go to our church. We don't know how many are here. Uh, I would say hundreds and hundreds, I would say. And um, while we're glad that you'll have a paycheck, we know it's probably going to be maybe Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, maybe Tuesday. And in a small way, if we can help in any way, if, you are, if you've been an unpaid government uh, worker, um, and you're waiting for that first paycheck, and it's, I know it's been tough. You've been going through everything from debt to whatever. If we can just do this one little thing for you today, after the service uh, at this campus, it'll be outside that door. We've just got uh, some $100 uh, Walmart gift cards that are there for you to just try to get you to that paycheck, all right? So all you got to do is when you're done at the service, if you want to just go out the door, on your right there'll be a table. Um, and so, again, just a small way we can say, we, you know, we love you, God loves you. And so we want to try to, again, try to be a stopgap a little bit to get you to whenever that paycheck comes. Hopefully it comes tomorrow, but more than likely it's going to be later on the week. So, again, the Walmart the gift cards are there. Just go by there, and they have one for you. And, church, thank you for your generosity. That allows us to do uh, stuff like that. All right. Um, let's do this. Uh, we're, in a series, we're in a series called Reset the Table. And... As uh, Julia said earlier, uh, it was there for a, a purpose. You know, table is the idea of, it's a metaphor for your close relationships, your close friends, your family in particular, and reset is the idea that things can start over. There can be a fresh start. There can be a redo. And a few weeks ago, we started it. We got a couple of, we're kind of right in the middle of it now. We got two weeks left and a reset is, is uh, you know what, it, it, can, it can begin again. And so week one was, how do I stop the pain? How do I get grace back into my house? And how do I take all the junk that has accumulated sometimes over years and get clean and get a fresh start? That was week one. Week two was, how do you have a reset in marriage? How do you make it a covenant, not just a contract? And then week three was really about how do you fight fair in the family, Right? How do you fight in family? How do you communicate gospel words in a gospel-driven way in spite of the tension and in spite of all that? And so we've got a couple of weeks left today. Is We're going to probably look at, I would say in some ways, it is the most, uh, it is an incredibly, incredibly a challenging time. All right? it's, an, it's, it's one of the hardest things we do. And, and the idea is, we've talked about it repeatedly, is the idea is when the gospel does a work within us, it needs to overflow into our lives of people that are close to us. Think about Snow on the mountain, when it melts, it flows down the hill and then downstream and impacts people that are far, far away. The same way when the gospel has impacted you individually, what we want that to do is it needs to overflow into the relationships that you have uh, right around you. And so today is one of the most uh, challenging jobs, and that would be uh, raising and discipling uh, your kids or your grandkids, all right? If you're a parent or a grandparent, if you remember when you've brought that first child home uh, from the hospital, you're like, what? They're going to allow me to keep this child? I have 
have no idea what we're doing. And just to reminisce just a bit, this is a picture of uh, way back in the day. This is me, about 30 pounds lighter, and that is, that is Tyler. And that is actually, I've still got the hospital gown on. I'm not going to tell you where Tyler just came back from, but I will just say I was comforting my son at that point. And uh, that is him. And this is probably... Two weeks later, three weeks later, we, uh, he was born in Fort Worth. We then moved to our first pastorate. And so that is uh, the beautiful Miss Lori holding her probably three-week-old uh, chunk. That is a chunk of baby right there. I don't know what he weighed right there, but he's got some stove wood forearms, and he's a, he's a big fella. But the thing is, is like, what? I remember distinctly, we're walking out of the hospital, and we're like, what? what? Is somebody not going to give us instructions? Is there not some kind of, here's what you are to do? I went to Ikea to get some shelves, and they gave me like 60 pages. And I'm leaving the hospital with a baby and I got no, what do we, what do, we do? How do we, what do we do? So uh, in some ways, I, Jim Gaffigan, the comedian who has five kids, he said, most of the time I feel entirely unqualified to be a parent. I call these times being awake. And so if you're a parent, you're kind of like, man, I, I feel like that. It is hard. It is like pushing an old car up a hill in first gear with the emergency brake on. From Hawaii to New York, I mean, it is a hard, difficult, busy, trying time. So I'll tell you up on the front end, my goal today is that you as a parent or you as a grandparent to set you up to crush it when it comes to family discipleship. I mean, how do I disciple my kids in the faith? And our guys have worked real hard and our ladies have worked real hard. Uh, There's this discipleship guide that is available. You can either text the word family to... Yeah, what, would you, what else would you text it to? 28282, and you can get it digitally or when you leave at the next steps. There are these uh, little pamphlets right here that basically, you know, you go from, you go from zero, you know, birth to, you know, birth to age two, three to five, four to five, you know, all this stuff right here. You can pick them up. I'll mention these a little bit later. Phenomenal, phenomenal uh, stuff that I would greatly encourage you to take advantage of uh, today. All right, and let me do this quick word to people who are not parents. If you are not a parent, uh, not a grandparent, a couple of words to you. You know, first of all, you do have a biological family, and there'll be some application here uh, for that. You also have a church family, and as a, as, a, as a Christ follower belonging to a local church, we really need you to help us make disciples. Your call on your life is to make disciples of people around you, and we need you to engage in discipling the next generation. We really do. I uh, think back to the biggest, some of the biggest impacts that were made on, on our kids, and it was not just, it was not just, you know, people that were married. It was singles and college students and people that didn't have kids and they poured in, whether it be in the student ministry or the children's ministry or just mentoring them or whatever. So listen, that is a huge, huge deal. And then thirdly, uh, there's going to be some aspects of this while it is about parenting. There's some application there about how God parents you, how the heavenly father actually treats you and teaches you and disciples you as a son or daughter of his through repentance and faith in Jesus. So all that being said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to be in a book, as I said earlier, called Deuteronomy in the sixth chapter. It's one of the most famous uh, parts. A, A Jewish boy would memorize this before he's 12 years old. Jesus repeats this back to people when he's asked, like, what is the most important thing that we are supposed to do? And you're going to see right off the bat, some people call it the Shema or the Shema. It's the word for hear or for to listen. And it is a foundational text on how do I pass the baton of faith to the next generation. Uh, Deuteronomy was basically Moses' farewell address to the people of Israel. He's like, okay, listen, here's, here's what you've got to know before you go to the promised land. 
Now, going to the promised land, they were going to take their families into, culture, into a culture that was very different than what they'd been in. If you remember, they'd wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. It's time to go into the promised land. But when you go into the promised land, you're going into a culture that is not going to be friendly towards your faith. You're going to go into a place that's going to push back on all that you were trying to teach your kids. And he says, this is what you have to do in order to kind of get a reset for parenting. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to read the five or six verses, and then we're going to walk through them. And there, you're going to see from the start, there's like three, what I would just call concentric circles. All right, and I'll point them out to you. Verse 4 of chapter 6, hear, O Israel, that's where we get the word hear or listen or shema from. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's like, okay, you're going to go into a very polytheistic culture, all these different kinds of pagan gods, but you've got to remember your God is one God. Your God is one God. It's the God of Israel. It's the, it's the God we've worshipped. And here's what, he, here's what he says. And he says this, you, you is plural. He's talking about you. You as a community of faith in general, but also you as moms and dads, grandmoms and granddads in particular, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So that's the first concentric circle. All right, it goes against what you think. Hey, let's start. How do we disciple our kids? He's like, concentric circle number one is you. That's you. And then he goes to number two. Number two is Then you will teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Two more verses. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Basically what they would do is they would take little verses of scripture, they would put them in a box, they would put the box then on their forehead, sometimes on their arm, sometimes on their leg. Very, very, very visual. And then probably the third one we won't take a lot of time on. This is really about the idea of missional. How do you raise your kids to then be on mission, invisible? You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. All right, let me do a disclaimer uh, on the front end. Disclaimer is usually when somebody talks on a subject, you consider them an expert. Or if, they, if you don't consider them an expert, they consider themselves an expert. All right, neither are true today. Uh, there are no experts. I'm not going to be giving you seven tips that we learned. I remember early on, I was like, here's 10 great things you ought to do as kids. And the longer that you have both successes and failure as a parent, all of a sudden you're like, man, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know a whole lot. And so on the front end, tell you that we're not experts. Not only are we still learning, but we've also in some ways learned from mistakes. There's some things we wish we could redo, and we will talk about that as well. So again, no experts in here. It's hard work. Nobody does it perfectly, and you're not going to hear any drive-by. There's not going to be a drive-by guilting today. All right, there's no drive-by guilting from the preacher like, man, you stink at parenting, do better. That's not what we're talking about. It's hard. It's difficult. It's not an exact science at all. We just want to let God work and let God speak through his word. Secondly, whether you know it or not, as a parent or a grandparent, you are already discipling your child. Let me say it again. You're like, I don't want to pay. I don't, I don't want to disciple my kid. I want my daughter to just kind of grow up and make up her own mind. Listen, she will do that, but you are already discipling your child. You're already discipling your student, whether you know it or not. The question today is not, are you discipling your student? The question is, what are you discipling them in? Every time you hear a little four-year-old run up to it and go, roll tide, roll tide, or hook them horns or whatever, you know some discipleship has already been going on. 
all right? You, you've already said, okay, this is what we do in our house. This is a win. We root for these people. This is what we cheer. This is what we celebrate. We don't root for these people over here, okay? We're not going to root for the Patriots to win the Super Bowl. I mean, we might as well root for Satan to win the Super Bowl. We don't do that. We are already discipling. We're discipling our people already. It's like, this is what a touchdown is for us. This is what is something that we are going to be about. And as a disciple maker, the question again is not, are you making disciples? The question is, what are you discipling them toward? I mean, what parent has not said something or heard their little junior say something that they heard you say, and they're just repeating what you said, but they're saying it in a public way, and you're embarrassed, and like, I can't believe I just, I mean, where did you hear that kind of language? I heard it from you, Dad. That's where I heard it from. That is discipleship. All right, on a good note, hey, uh, some of it's real simple. Every time you do something great, hey, uh, husbands, anytime you, when you're going to the car today, when you open up the car door uh, for your wife, you're discipling little junior. This is how you treat a lady. This is how you treat somebody. This is how you respect your wife. Anytime you serve your family, that's doing a great job, all right? Uh, husbands, anytime you get aggressive towards your wife, anytime you bow up, all right, anytime you act like that towards your wife, you're also training up a next narcissistic, cowardly generation. You are training them up, you know, like, you know what? We can talk like that to women. We can do that. We can do that. And you're also training your daughter. This is what you can, this is the level you can expect from the men in your life. All right. So you're discipling them either way. What we want to do is we want to, if you're, I mean, I don't think any parent in here that's a Christ follower is like, you know what? I really want to disciple them in such a way is that they find their worth in, in how they did in the beauty pageant or how they did in football or how their tackling was or whatever. And I'm not against that at all. You're never going to hear that from me. You're not going to hear, oh, just get rid of it. I love, uh, sports is awesome. I think sports can teach some phenomenal competitive things about life. Everything right about teaching them how to tackle and how to do it in proper form, that's all great. But I don't think anybody wants to do at the end of their life say, you know, that my kid is getting his worth from how pretty she is or how awesome his grades are or what school he gets into. Important, that is just not ultimate. So pretty easy today. We're going to walk through the passage and you're going to, we're just really going to hit the first two. First one, we're just going to spend a little bit of time on. And here's, let me say it again. My goal today is if you're a parent or a grandparent is to set you up to crush this thing. Our people have worked so hard to give you a tool to just crush it. Because some people are like, I can't do it. I don't have the time. Just listen and we'll do it. But let's get the first one down uh, initially, because he actually starts with the parents before he starts with the kid. First thing he says, you, you, he brings them all together. He brings the community of faith in general, parents and grandparents specifically, and says, let's not start with junior, let's start with you. And he says, you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Loved ones, this is exactly what Jesus says was like primo. This is the thing. In the New Testament, this is what Jesus says when lawyers come up to him and go, what is the most important thing we can learn out of all the 613 commandments in the Old Testament? What is like the number one thing? And what Jesus does is he repeats this. He says, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he kind of adds to it. He says, and you will love your neighbor as yourself. Now, who's the closest neighbor that you have? It's your family. It's the people not just down the street, but they're the ones in your home. And what he says to start off with is, this is circle one. This is you, mom. This is you, dad. This is you, single mom. This is you, grandparent. And he's not saying it's super complicated. He's not saying start off with 72 things to make your best life right now. That's not what he's saying. He's saying right now, you do stuff that fan the affection that you have in your relationship with God. There are 613 commands. He could have mentioned any of them. Instead, he says, what I want you to focus on is the health, the vibrancy of your own personal walk with Jesus. 
couple of things about that. You're like, why would that be what he starts with? This analogy has been used a lot, but it's still, it's still a great picture. And that is, that's why when you get on an airplane and the lady or the man gets up there and goes through all the stuff that you kind of tune out, but one of the things that they will say is, you know what, if the plane's doing this and the oxygen comes down, and if you're traveling with a minor, make sure you put the oxygen on first and then help junior. Why are they saying that? Because if you pass out, you can't help junior and you're both going to be in bad shape. Same concept. Parent, you be healthy, you be on fire, you have a vibrant walk with the Lord, and then guess what? It's going to be a lot better, a lot easier if you're healthy to then pass spiritual health on to your son, to your daughter. And he's like, listen to this, listen to this, you got to hear this. And he summarizes it by saying it's a love relationship. So here's what it is. It's daily. It's a daily choice you make. What am I going to do today to fan the affection that I have for Jesus? What am I going to do? He says, do it with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Your heart, your heart and your soul, that's the inner part of you. That's the part that relates to God. So ask the question, what is it that fans some? Worship's probably going to be a part of that. Probably going to be, what about your mind? Getting in the word is probably going to be a part of that. What about all your strength? Service and ministry is probably going to be a part of that somewhere, but it's about a love relationship. Like, I don't even know what that looks like. Well, the Bible gives us a bunch of different analogies and pictures. This one, just for this sake, since it's about parenting, over and over again, particularly in the New Testament, the Bible says, you know what? God is like a father, and you are like his daughter. You are like his son. If you, again, turn from your sin and embrace Christ, they say when that happens, you get adopted into God's family. You get born again, John chapter 3 would say. That's what happens. And so let's kind of unpack that a little bit. Now, when it says God is like a father, I understand, and I understand with enough people in here, there's been all sorts of earthly dads. I mean, some of your dads, is that, when you think of dad or you think of father, it's like an awesome deal. It's phenomenal. You, you had a, not a perfect dad, but a really strong dad. You're like a third generation Christ follower and you're grateful for that. And man, you ought to be grateful for that. Some of you had, just runs the gamut. Some of you had a distant dad, all right? And distant could either mean he wasn't there or he died early or whatever. Some of you had an angry dad. It's like, man, it was just all you had to do is one little thing wrong and it was like the whole roof blows off, all that stuff. Do not judge your heavenly father by your earthly dad. I understand it's almost impossible to do. You look at almost some of the most famous atheists that have ever written stuff down. If you track almost every single one of them, they had either a very, very negative or abusive relationship with their earthly dad. So they're like, how am I going to think of a heavenly father that's caring and loves me if that's the kind of dad I had? Let me say it again. At some point, you got to go, you know what? I'm not going to judge my heavenly father by the faults of my earthly dad. I'm going to put my earthly dad in a framework in which God the Father speaks of himself. So let me give you a couple of pictures. When you see some good things about some dads, next time you see a man who's married and he's looking forward to the birth of his child through the womb of his wife and how excited he is, you know, it's like God loves me like that. God loves me like that. God loves people like that. When you see a, when you see a dad holding a newborn... I mean, just look at a dad sometime. Even that one picture of me was like going back in time this week, looking at some of those pictures, and I'm like holding them. There's another one. There's another one I should have shown you. I had just gotten back from what they call view of a call at the, at the church we were about to move to, and I was so exhausted. We got up at like 3, drove out there, preached, and all the stuff came back, and I got back. He's like a week old, and I'm just crashed out there, and he's on my chest, but I'm like, man, I'm not falling asleep. I, there was not a chance at all that I was going to go to sleep and dump him off. That wasn't going to happen at all. Why? Wow, it's like I'm cherishing him. God loves you like that. You look at another one, he's walking along, you look at a dad and he's carrying and he's holding his little daughter and he's got her by the hand and she's not falling. She's not falling. Why? Because he loves her and he cares for her and he protects her and he cherishes her. God loves you like that. 
You look at a dad who's teaching his son how to either tackle properly or shoot a basketball, coaching him, teaching him. God loves you like that. And so whatever situation you came out with, and we'll circle back around it, you've got to understand, listen, uh, the one thing he says is imperative. See, you cannot guarantee, and believe me, and I, and I, say, I need to say this every time because we've got parents in here, and I don't know how many times, we've heard this a hundred times. You know what? I was raised in the faith and my parents did this, but you know what? When I was 10, I made some decision, but it wasn't because of what they did. And then I ran from the Lord and now I'm 30 years old and I'm coming back to the Lord. I say all that to say this, you cannot guarantee, you cannot guarantee no matter what you do, you cannot guarantee that your sons and daughters repent and come to faith in Jesus. You cannot guarantee that. You can't. You can put kindling around the fire and you can try to stoke it and you can try to live in the joy of the Lord with them. You cannot guarantee it. There are a few things you can do to almost guarantee that they won't be interested in the Lord. And one of the main ones is hypocrisy. Something about kids is they have a military-grade radar that can pick up on what mom and dad really cherish, what is really important to them. And my challenge to you is this. What he's saying on the front end is it's not going to be enough just to be a churchgoer. All right, dad, mom, I'm not trying to get all up in your kitchen right now. What I am saying is this popping into church once or twice, not getting into a small group, not getting them into children's ministry or whatever, what that is telling them, what is that discipling them is saying, all right, God is really about an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday twice a month. What he's saying is, you've got to ask the questions daily. What is going to stir up my affection for Jesus Christ and my walk with him? How do I fall more in love with God? Am I more in love with God three years from now than I am right now? So again, that's the challenge. That's where he starts out before he ever starts about how do you pass your faith on to the kids? But it does get to that. So here's the second one, and this is where we'll camp on for a minute. This is probably the key word. All the stuff he's saying is this is the key word. It's how do I disciple, how do I disciple, how do I disciple kids intentionally? All right, we're not, he's not looking for the perfect parent. Any, nobody in here is a perfect parent. Not a perfect parent. As a matter of fact, it ought to just relieve you, just kind of say in your heart of hearts right now, I don't have to be a perfect parent. You do not have to be a perfect parent. Let me say it another way. You can do this. You as a parent, as a single dad, you can do this. This is like an 80 mile an hour fastball down the middle that you can crunch over the wall. You can do this. You don't have to be perfect. You have to be intentional. You've got to have an intention to say, this is what God's call is on my life. And there's a lot of principles here. Here's the first one. When we talk about it, you look at the text and it says, you know, teach them diligently. That's in the idea of you do it over and over and over and over and over again. It's actually a picture like you. And I remember how you used to have a, they don't do them anymore, but back in the day, you would actually sharpen a pencil. You had a pencil sharpener. I don't even, they have those anymore? They do, really? Okay. Pencil sharpener. That's the picture. Diligently means to sharpen. It's the idea that over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, I am going to have to have this intentional, repeated discipleship. Now, some of you are freaking out because you're like, I am so busy right now. Do not pile something else on me. I, I get, I, it's all I can do to get up, get them to school, pick them up, get them to rehearsal, go to practice, go to ballet, throw some chicken McNuggets in the back seat, get them to another rehearsal, then to church, and then back home. It's like, don't add something else on to my plate. Please hear this. What we're talking about today is not asking you to add on something to your already way too busy schedule. It is asking you to reorient around the things of God. It's for you to have the conversations that you're already, you're already having the conversations. 
You're already having the conversations about sports and about school and about grades and about their bedroom and how messed up it is. You're already having those conversations. I'm just saying that reorient them to include some conversation about the gospel and realize it's not going to be a one-time deal. It's not going to be a, hey, we talked about that and not have to ever talk about it again. Are you like that with God? I mean, I'm not. God's got to like, you know, it's like, I told you this, I told you this, I messed up, let's do it again, messed up, do it again. Do you ever tell your kid one time and they get it, I mean, rarely, pick up your sock, don't leave your socks in the hall. Your socks are in the hall again, pick up your socks. We caught you, your socks are, they stink, pick them up or there are going to be some consequences, all right? You're not telling them one time, you got to tell them over and over and over and over and over again. And so again, you're already having these, and they're not bad conversations. You need to have those conversations about grades and their bedroom and their sports and their dress and all this kind of stuff. Here's what we're saying. is five, ten, Find 10 minutes a week. Be intentional. Sit down today and go, okay, we're looking at our week. Where are 10 minutes, where are 15 minutes that we can sit down as a family, basically just read a section, read a section of the Bible, and we've already got it spelled out for you right here. Read a section of the Bible and then talk about it for 10 minutes and then somebody's gonna close in prayer. Now, I'm gonna give you like 15 practical things in a few minutes, but that's what we're talking about. You're like, well, we tried family devotions and they didn't work. Now, okay, a couple of things about family devotions. They're awesome, but don't romanticize family devotions. Don't romanticize them like all of a sudden you're gonna bring all the kids together and you're gonna, oh, Father, speak to us and teach us from the word, Father. That's not gonna happen, okay? Not gonna happen. All hell will break loose when you make a schedule for a devotional. It's like Monday night at 6.30, we're going to have family devotional. All I can guarantee is everything will push against that. Practice gets changed to 6.30. Some kid gets six at 6.30. Everything happens at 6.30. And not only that, when you actually get the time, it's not like the little angel is going to be sitting there and like, feed me the word. Let's talk about the Lord's Supper or transubstantiation. That's not happening, okay? They are going to be, somebody's going to hit somebody else, all right? Somebody's going to pick their nose. Somebody's going to get in trouble. Somebody's not going to pay attention. It's not that romantic. The win is not how awesome the time was. The win is the fact that you intentionally were asking the questions and discipling your kids. That's where the win is. You know what we did that? We're going to do, so set aside the 10 minutes. And again, don't think it's all, you're like, well, it's, it's easy for you because you're a preacher. It's not easy, okay? Number one, you got to learn how to, and I wish I knew this earlier. I really do. Um, somebody gave me this advice too late. It's like, listen, you, can, you can't be preacher and dad, okay? You be dad and not preacher. You don't, you're not the preacher. You're not the preacher to your own kids, all right? You're dad to your own kids. And I learned that too late, to be honest with you. All right, it was always about, hey, get this right, get this right, let's do it. I'll give you one example. We're driving to the beach from Houston over to Florida somewhere, or yeah, I think it's Florida, and so you got to go down 10, which is like a billion-hour drive. And so one of the things we did is like, oh, we got to disciple our kids, we got to disciple our kids. And uh, I'm like, let's have, let's have a drill, let's have a, let's have a Bible drill. And it was like, okay, we've been listening to music long enough, we've got 15 minutes until you get to 10 points, we're going to put the music back on and you get to pick. This is so embarrassing to say, but here's, here's what happened. So we're going through, and some, some are easy. Like, okay, this is an easy one. You know, uh, what, uh, what would be like a soup? Because the one I asked them was easy. All right. I asked, uh, here's, the, here's the one they stumped them. I asked them a couple easy ones. This one's two points. This one's four points. I'm like, this one's pretty easy. Let's talk on the easy one. This is like only worth one point. Who did Jesus raise from the dead? Okay. What guy who had two sisters did Jesus raise from the dead? Okay, don't answer the question, because they couldn't answer it, okay? They couldn't. And they're like eight and six at this point, you know, nine and seven. 
That is not a hard question. It's an easy question. And so they're like, oh, we don't know. And I'm like, you got to know this. You got to know this. You've been to Awana. You're like, got to know this answer, okay? It's like, who did Jesus raise from the dead? And they're like, oh. And then they start getting a little flippant. Then they start getting a little cocky. Then they start throwing answers out. And I was like, just get Peter, uh, James, John. I was like, no, no, no. And then finally, I just lose it. I'm like, we are not listening to the radio ever again until you figure out who Jesus rose from the dead. And my wife is godly, godly. She's like, Lazarus, Lazarus. She's like trying to, Lazarus, L, A, Z, Lazarus. Like two hours, Lazarus. I'm like, doesn't count. She told you that. I mean, I was like, so don't romanticize how awesome these are. All right, they're not always super romantic. They're not always super, that went so well. Again, the win is you're intentionally trying to say, you know what, this is what we're going to be about today. And there's some easy wins we set up for you. Look at the, t- the text says when you are going along and when you get up and when you go on the way. All right, anybody in here ride a horse to church? Anybody, raise your hand if you rode a horse. Anybody ride a horse? No. All right, maybe a handful of you walked, maybe a few of you carpooled, but a lot of you drove cars, all right? A lot of you drove cars. A lot of parents, you drove cars today, so you ride home today. What do you do? Just ask them some questions. Here's a little hint. What we're learning in here is exactly what they're learning in there today. They're learning this today. They're using a little bit of a Ephesians 6 passage about how to honor you, but they're learning this today. So you got a 10-minute drive home, just ask them some questions. Now, don't ask them yes and no questions, all right? Did you like church today? No. I mean, you might not even get no. You might get a grunt. You might not get any. Ask them some open-ended questions, all right? What was your lesson about today? All right, how can we do this better as a family? What do you think honor means And if they give you some goofy question, don't chastise them for the wrong answer like I did about Peter and James and John, all right? Just like, oh, nope, that's not right. That's not right. Here's another one. Uh, Sometime this week, have a meal together at home. I'm not saying you got to cook. I'm just saying get the... I wish we had time. There was actually, believe it or not, of all places, a New York Times article about the health of the kids long-term just when there is at least one night a week Listen, I understand we don't live in an agrarian community anymore. It's not like you're out in the farm plowing and you're with them all day and then you come up. It's not Little House on the Prairie. I understand that. There's many a day where you just toss the nuggets in the back seat and that's what dinner is, all right? What I'm saying is there's got to be at least one time a week where you get around the table and you talk. And it's got to be no tech, all right? It's got to be, you cannot be texting. You cannot be, that's like, you can't do that. I mean, you can't either. I mean, how many times have you gotten an email during dinner and you got an email and then the next thing you know, you're like watching giraffe videos on YouTube. It's like 30 minutes have gone. So it's the idea that for this hour, whatever this time, we're just going to talk. We're just going to talk. Maybe that's the time you go, hey, here's the passage. Here's the passage we talked about. What do you guys think? Meal together. I would say this too. If you're looking for a Bible for a kid from zero to eight, uh, this is the one I'd recommend. All right, it's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. All right, your little four-year-old does not need the ESV right now. I mean, it's great, and don't write me a letter about that. Just start age appropriate and Jesus Storybook Bible. It's awesome. It's very. It has the stuff. Has has pictures. I mean, I might go back to this one. All right, it's got it's got a bunch of it's got a bunch of great stuff. All right, so here's the, here's the, and so here's the consistently consistently just ten minutes, add it on intentionally. You're having the conversations, include a gospel-centered conversation. Okay. We want to set you up to just like kill this thing, all right? You can do it. But you, you also can put a couple things in there that maybe you hadn't thought about. And that is be, you want to do it creatively. Do you notice what the text was saying? It's like we're going to do it a lot of different times. But then they started using stuff that's like visuals, you know, stuff, put it on their forehead, put it on their arm, put it in a box, all right? All this stuff that is very, very visual. And God's very creative. I mean, think about the way that God has spoken to us, his kids, 
Man, he spoke to a rainbow. He spoke to a donkey. He spoke to, yeah, he did spoke to preachers. He, he, sometime he did an illustration. Jesus took a coin out of a fish's mouth one time just to get a point across. Another time he's like, hey, guys, guys, come, come over here. You see this little old lady putting one mite? It's like, man, she gave more than all these other guys. What? We do not understand. He's just using common stuff to say this is a truth. Now, let me say this about creativity. I'm not creative at all. I'm blessed beyond measure. And one of the cool things, I got a creative wife. And so she was coming up with these creative ideas. But the idea is no one size fits all. This is not like baking cookies. It's not like, okay, here's the recipe for every, your kids are going to be different. All right, some of you have a kid like Tigger. And some of you have a kid like Eeyore, okay? I mean, some of you got to get a kid. It's like, Tigger, it's positive, you know, bouncy, bouncy. It's like, I love this. And you're like, okay, then you got an Eeyore kid. I got an E where it's like, well, when is this going to be done? And it's just raining outside, and I'm not sure, and the world's going to end. Just really, you're like, yeah, 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 that's my kid, that's my kid. Here's something, please, you see this in the Bible, it's a deep sin. It's the deep sin of favoritism. Love the kids you have, not the kids you want. Love the kids you have, not the one you want. Like, I wanted an athlete, and I got a reader. Some of you are like, I wanted a reader and I got an athlete. It's like, doesn't matter. You know what happens now is, is if your kid's into reading, guess what you're into? Reading, okay? You're like, I love reading. I love reading. Your kid's an athlete. You might not be able to spell athlete, but you're like, I'm going to learn what this means. I'm going to learn how to shoot it, whatever the case is. Love the kids you want, not the, or love the kids you have, not the kids you want. Because some of you are like this. Here's, here's what I can guarantee. I can't guarantee a lot. I can guarantee this. You've always got to remember what you're after is their heart. You're after their heart. You're after their heart. Now, I understand behavior is important. It certainly is important, and that's part of our jobs as a parent. Behavior modification is important. You do want to teach them how to say yes or no, sir. How do they look into the eyes of a grown-up? How do they shake hands? How they, is that important? That is important. It's just not eternal, Okay. It has to be subsidiary. It has to be submissive. And underneath, I'm after their heart. Please hear me, parents. Please hear me on this. If all you are is after behavior modification and the gospel never gets to their heart and changes the character, what you're doing is slingshot parenting. What you're, if you're like a drill sergeant and there's very little relationship and it's all about the rules, you know, drill, some of y'all are in military, a drill sergeant doesn't care for your soul. It's like, don't do this. I mean, you eventually will do what he says to do because you fear all of the consequences. But if there's no relationship there, you're only doing it because of the fear. And as soon as you're out from under the sergeant, you won't do it. Slingshot parenting is no relationship, no heart change, all behavior modification. And all you're doing is pulling this back and pulling this back and pulling this back. And then at 18, when they're gone and they don't have to do that, whoa, they are gone. They are gone. I'm going to say, don't take credit if you've got a kid that loves Jesus. Don't take all the own what you need to. Don't take all the blame if you've got a kid that doesn't love Jesus. What you can do, and we'll talk about this here in just a second, you can own what you need to own and just realize, you know what? I've got to be intentional. I've got to be focused on the heart. Now, be creative as you want to. Some of you all like camping. I mean, that'd be an easy thing. If you're a camper, just go out camping. I'll tell you this. Franks don't like camping. I'll just tell you, like, you will not see us. Oh, you want to go out in the woods and no bathroom and, you know, no, I don't. I'm going to stay in my house, all right? Going to go to a hotel, whatever. It's not going to be us, all right? One day, one day camping, all right? All right. Um, 
But some of you are like great camping. You like camping, and that's awesome, man. Go out there, get the schmores going. Look up there, and all you know what discipleship is? It's like maybe you were looking. Maybe you uh, like Psalm eight. Hey, when I look at the works of your fingers, what is man that you would even think of him? What do you think about that? What do you think about that, uh, sweetie? What do you think about that? I don't know. How far you think that star is away? I mean, just you just talk. You're discipling them. If she likes a worship song, maybe you print that worship song out that you heard on the Christian radio. You print the words out and you talk about, hey, what do you think this means? What do you like best about this song? Uh, some guy had ABCs, and what he would do is the ABCs of praise is they're like, all right, at our dinner, our weekly dinner, what we're doing is ABC. All right, what you do is what is one way that God has blessed our family that starts with the letter A? And you go first. Animals. God blessed us with animals. Awesome. Susie, you do B. All right. God bless us with, I don't even know, I mean, bodies, booties, whatever. God bless us with that. We are glad that God bless you. Just, you're just, that's discipleship right there. You didn't think that was coming. That's discipling your kids. All right, let me give you a third one. <laughs> that is not being a tape. That is not going to be on the tape. All right, so here's the, here's the last one. Uh, it, this is serious. Cooperatively. Cooperatively. The context of Deuteronomy 6, this is given to the community of faith. And home is the first place. Home is the first place. You're going to spend around 8,000 hours. They're going to spend about 8,000 hours at home. They're going to spend about 100 hours at church this year. 8,000 versus 100. Let me just tell you a couple things, uh, what we try to do, because churches do it different ways. And there's nothing wrong. God can use either one of them. But some churches are super, super heavily, heavily programmed. I'm talking about you got student and children's events on Monday night. You got this banquet on Tuesday night. You got this next thing on Wednesday night. And you got the children's choir rehearsal on Thursday night. And then you got this youth retreat on Friday. And that's all it is. Okay. Let me just tell you, that's not what we do. What we try to do is do some of those, but mainly how do we let you with your 8,000 hours make an impact more so than our 100 hours? We want to be your biggest cheerleaders. We want to come alongside you and say, Mom. Here's how you can do this. Dad, you didn't grow up with this kind of upbringing? Okay, but that's okay. You can do this. That's what some, some of you are like, I didn't grow up with that. I didn't grow up with that. That's what's awesome about the Christian life. It's like, you know what? I can be a new link in the chain. My dad didn't give me this. His granddad didn't do, give me this. And I don't even know, why didn't my dad do this? Maybe your dad didn't get it from his dad. But the good thing is you're like, you're sitting there and you can go, it's beginning with me today. I'm going to be intentional. And so the generations from here, guess what? It started today. You can't do that. But cooperatively, what we want to do is just come alongside you. And a lot of that, when they get older, their peer group starts to be huge. And so uh, how do we get them in a place? You're like, which one's, which, one's more, which one's better? Tons of programming at the church or us doing it? And I'm like, it doesn't. Both can be used. Last football analogy, all right? I'm just like, somebody's like, oh, what's better, like a 3-4 defense or a 4-3 defense? All right, which one's better? It's like, you know what? They have strengths on both of them. Bottom line, either of them is better than no defense, okay? Either of them is better than like, yeah, you know what? We couldn't decide which one to do, so we're just not going to do one at all. That is a guaranteed L. Same way, parents. What we want to do is come alongside and say, okay, this is some ways you can disciple your child. And, and so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you about, uh, I'm going to give you about four or five things super, super quick. And again, uh, these are not exhaustive, but I'll just start with this again is before you leave, either text it if you're digital or if you like paper, 
man, these things, uh, again, number one, you, you, we're trying to set you up even on the way home, even on the way home. You're like, hey, I got my 10 minutes done this week, and it's not even the end of the day Sunday. But like this one's like birth to age two. And so it's got everything from what do you expect to say things like this to here's what's available at church, and then you get all the way to like ninth through 12th grade. It basically says put them in a barrel for three years and then take them out when they're 18. I'm just kidding. It doesn't say that, all right? It, it has some stuff about teenagers and how do I do that and how do I talk to my teens? So please get that one. Here's another one. Read the Bible before you go to bed, especially when they're small or up to, it starts getting, you know, around 12 or so and that varies. But man, up until like 12 or 13, I've, most kids really want mom or dad to read the Bible to them. Just read it. You don't have to know all the answers. If they ask a question, you don't know. Hey, honey, I don't know that. I'm going to find that out. We'll talk about it tomorrow or the next day or whatever, okay? Just read the Bible to them, all right? Read the stories. Again, get an age-appropriate one. That's where I'd start with if it's like up to age around eight or so. Um, we already talked about this. Eat dinner together. Figure out. Get di- if, you're, if you are blessed to have a, a family that has mom and a dad, mom and a dad, sometime today, get your computer out, get your calendar out, and go, okay, where is 10 to 15 minutes this week? 10 to 15 minutes that we can actually just read the Bible and talk a little bit as a family. Cool. That's when we can do it and then try to protect that. A couple more things. Uh, sponsor a compassion child together. Sponsor a compassion child together. And let that child, whatever they're doing, let them have some part of it. There's so many benefits. If you don't know what that's about, we sponsor children in Ecuador with Compassion International. If it's less than $40 a month, feeds them, clothes them, uh, shares the gospel with them, educates them in such a way as it breaks the cycle of poverty. Right? There's like 2,500 kids. We're going to try to get to 3,000 kids we're sponsoring. All that, kind of, all that being said is sponsor it together. All right? Let the teenager pay a little bit of that 40 just so they have some ownership of it. What that teaches them is a new, I mean, it's just, it teaches them, hey, I need to be grateful for what I've got. Not every kid gets to have like four square meals a day. Not every kid gets to sit down and play PlayStation or whatever. Nothing wrong with that. Just be appreciative of it teaches them, you know what, I'm here to, I'm blessed to bless other people. Just sponsor a compassion child together. Uh, if you have a junior high or senior high, please get them signed up for Wake Weekend in a couple weeks. Get them signed up for Wake Weekend. I have no idea. Like, well, we're thinking about taking a vacation to uh, Brevard. Okay, it's like nothing, nothing against Brevard. But what you're saying is us going hiking on this weekend is more important than you being discipled and poured into intensely for two and a half days Wisdom, is that a wise, nothing wrong with Brevard, is that a wise choice? You're like, I don't have the money. It's, it's a little bit of money. If you don't have the money, let us, we got scholarships. We got business women and businessmen. They've, get up, they've given us scholarships, so we will, we will scholarship them. Celebrate some milestones, maybe a baby dedication, or if they get baptized, or maybe memorize a verse together, and when you get the verse memorized, like, we're going to Wendy's, all right? Or we're going somewhere to celebrate this deal, because you know what? We memorized the verse together, and that's awesome. And I would say this last one, that would just be pray with them and pray over them. Pray with them. That's kind of easy. You don't have to do a flowery prayer. Just let them pray if they want to. But then I would say this, every once in a while, after they go on to sleep, when they're, I mean, before you go to bed and they're, they're crashed, just kind of sneak in there and get on your knees and pray. And you pray for that little girl. Just pour out your, God, would you please raise up a young lady who loves Jesus and is a difference maker and a phenomenal leader in her generation. God, would you protect and just, just pour out your heart. You're like, I hear what you're saying, but my time has come and gone. 
I wish I could have a devotional with my kids, but they're 40. Now, again, let's, one quick thing about that. I agree that it's probably going to be different. I don't think if you call up your 40-year-old in Michigan or wherever and say, hey, family discipleship is at 6.30 on Thursday, you know, that's probably the best idea. Here's what you can do is what you can do is you can pick up the phone and say, hey, I know this is kind of random. I know this might seem a little strange. I just want to call to say I love you. I'm so proud of you in these particular areas. And then you're like, well, my kid's way away. We're going to talk about that at some point. But you can find a couple of areas that you are proud of her in, proud of him in. I'm proud of you in these areas. And I tell you what, at church this morning, we were talking about family discipleship. And as the preacher was talking, I just thought, man, I wish I had God had done, I wish God had done a pronounced work in my life earlier in my life so I could have done some of these things better. But I want to let you know, son, I did the best I could. I wish I'd have known more. I wish I could have done more. You know what that is? At that moment, you've done something amazing. You have done something tremendously Christian, and that is you have... You have owned your sin. You have actually owned your sin before God and before others, and now you're trusting the grace of God. And if they're 40, listen, if they're 40, their decisions are theirs. If they're 40, those decisions are theirs. Their life is theirs. You're not responsible. So, but I want to lay before you, it's never, it's never too late. It's never too late to do the most distinctive Christian thing there is, which is to own your sin before God, trust his forgiveness and grace, and then move on to be a happy-hearted, cleansed person before Almighty God. It's not too late for that. You're like, I'm not, I'm, not sure if it, I'm not sure if it's too late or not. So here's the, you might feel convicted, you might feel paralyzed. It's like, I don't know what to do. I mean, hear me today, please. It is a new day to get up and start again. I mean, all the time we talk about, all the time, God does not have regrets. God is not looking at any of you looking down there and going, man, I regret the, I regret the cross and the resurrection. Man, I regret that so much, man. Look at that brother down there. He is so messed up. I wish I had not died for his sin and then rose from the grave. I wish that, that is not happening. It doesn't happen ever and it certainly doesn't happen this morning. But what we can do is we can own our sin. We can before God say, God, for the years that you give me, the average parent in here, the average parent of a young person, the average when you have a thousand weeks, that's what you have. You have a thousand weeks and they're going to be gone. That's why people always talk about it. It's like, man, it went by so quickly. It went by so fast. It does go by fast. A thousand weeks is not a long time. What you can do is you can own it and say, all right, God, this is what I haven't done. But bottom line is because of your grace, today's a new day. It can start fresh today.